Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast with our hosts Dave Jorner and Jared Press, who through Project Hatch dedicate their life's work to enabling and empowering young people around Australia to do life even better. Whatever you're wanting to create for your life, this podcast will give you the tips, messages and inspiration you need to make it happen. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Do Life Better podcast, and thanks very much for joining us again today. And we hope that you're creating another great day for yourself. Now, today's shout-out actually goes to all of our listeners over in the US. US of A. Absolutely. Now, we have listeners in California, in Massachusetts, in uh, Ohio, oh, yeah. and New York, um, and I probably said some of those a bit wrong, like Massachusetts. Massachusetts? I think. I might have to go over there and get them to teach yeah, me how maybe, to say it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining in, all of our listeners in the US. Now, uh, Jared. Dave. The other night, we yes. had a big night for us. We okay. had Tobias's very first keyboard concert. Wow. Yeah, it was a big moment and he'd been working really hard for it. And when we rocked up to the concert, see, I was thinking there might be about 20, 25 kids performing. I yep, thought, yeah, yep. that's not too bad. Turned up, 60 performers. No. Yep. Did and you I'm just sitting there leave? Thinking- <laughs> just go? Just- I'm feeling sick in the belly. I've got to go home. I know, right? I'm thinking, I'm going to be here for like an hour now. I haven't had dinner yeah. yet. All these thoughts started coming through. And I'm thinking, what's going on? 60 kids. And then like, I started counting how yep. many performers there were. And after the third one, I looked at my wife and said, three down, 57 to go. And then I just had this moment of thinking, Dave, what are you doing? Like this could actually be quite a, a nice moment if you, if you allow it to be. And yeah. so I, I had this moment of dread at the start, but I thought, hang on, let, let's enjoy this time. I only get his first concert once. Yes. Yeah. And and, and, so, and sixty other kids first. <laughs> and sixty once. other kids first concerts. That's right. And so I started trying to I played this bit of a game. I, I, when the student got up to perform, I tried to pick out their parents yep. in the crowd. It's pretty easy. They're the ones the iPhone up you yeah, know, recording. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then just to watch the joy that on their, their faces and how much they clapped. And like the whole audience, in fact, clapped really loudly for every single of this, for Excellent. all of the 60 Excellent. kids. And I found myself really starting to enjoy it. And particularly when Tobias got up and performed at the very end. And um, you know, there's a lot of pride there because I know how hard he'd been working on it. And this was a moment that when I first turned up, I yep. had this moment of dread thinking, how on earth am I going to get through these yes. 60 different performances? Then I thought, okay, Dave, time to get over yourself. Like This can actually be a lot of fun. Yep. And it turned out to be a really enjoyable um, mo- uh, night. And Filled with a lot of pride, in fact. Yeah. Okay, cool. Don't ever invite me to one of those nights, Dave. Oh, I will, Jared. I'll, You're coming to the next I'll, one, mate. I'll, you will enjoy sick. it. You uh, will enjoy it. Dave, you know, I mean, 60 kids, it's quite trivial. And, you know, it, it's, is. it's, it it's, really it's is, a bit yes. of fun to talk about that. Yep. But but certainly working with youth all around Australia, you know, we, we do see that a lot of people have come through really, really difficult things, mm. much harder than listening to 60 kids <laughs> yes, play yes, piano. Yes, yes. And it, it's really inspiring to listen to stories of how people make it through difficult stages in their life. Mm. And this week we had the honour and pleasure yep. of catching up with a friend of yours and yes. now a, a sort of, I hope, a friend of mine, <laughs> Matthew, <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah, listening. Yeah, for sure. um, a bloke called Matthew Ames here in Brisbane. Mm. Now, to give you a bit of a backstory, um, Matthew is a healthy guy, family of, with four wonderful kids mm-hmm. uh, and a wonderful wife. And one day Matthew got flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. um, went to the doctors, they classified mm-hmm. it as just a flu. However, he kept deteriorating over a a period of time, went to the hospital eventually because he knew that something was up. Mm. Um, he would wake up about five days later, I, I think, 
and he would no longer have arms or legs. Um, the doctor said that it was a, I think it was streptococcal A, mm-hmm. Dave, and it had made its way into his bloodstream. So mm-hmm. it was a normal type of virus that people get. However, for some reason, for Matthew, freak accident, it got mm-hmm. into his bloodstream. Mm-hmm. They removed one arm to try and stop the infection. Uh, however, it didn't work. And they said that if they removed all three of his remaining limbs, he would have a 1% chance of survival. And of course, fortunately, Matthew did survive. Yeah, absolutely. And just that idea of even if they amputated all his limbs, he still only had 1% yeah. chance of survival. Is um, The fact that they went ahead with it is incredibly inspiring for me. And, and Matthew's story, knowing him for three years or more now, his story has been an incredible inspiration for me and for who yes. I am. And it's actually really helped me um, put a lot of different situations into perspective and, and it's helped me in a big way, uh, become uh, who I am in different areas of my yep. life right now. And because he's been such an inspiration for me and for Jared, we are yep. sure that this interview coming up right now is hopefully going to inspire you as well. What was that like? What was it like when you woke up and yeah, I was there? Yeah, well, I still remember it fairly um, clearly, despite mm-hmm. the fact I was on some pretty heavy um, painkillers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, uh, Having Diane there when I woke up was um, – I was very fortunate to, for her to be able to, to talk me through what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a bit of paint, a bit of a picture at that stage. You know, when I say I had my arms and legs removed, um, for those listening, I've probably, you know, got about 10 centimetres of – 10 to 15 centimetres of all four limbs left, so mm. – um, one of my sisters described me as a, describes me as a torso. That's pretty much <laughs> <laughs> what I've got left. Okay. Um, so I was there, and I I also had a tube down my throat, so I couldn't mm-hmm. talk. Um, and I was on dialysis, mm. um, and so I could only really just look at Diane um, and couldn't ask any questions. So that was that was pretty tough, you know, mm. having to just listen. I couldn't see my arms and legs at the time when I woke up because I couldn't lift my neck. Sure, so I couldn't look yep. down at my. I couldn't see how much was left. I couldn't feel, you know, uh, anything gone because mm-hmm. there's a phantom limb sensation in my head. So it feels like I've still got everything. So you were told that you had that your limbs were amputated. Yes, but you couldn't check. I couldn't check. You couldn't look to no. see. You didn't feel anything different. Couldn't see anything. Couldn't feel anything. Wow. You know. So uh, was there a moment of, well, maybe not because it was die telling you, but was there a moment of, is this true? Is this real? Is this just a bad dream? Like. If oh, you there's, couldn't check, there's quite a funny like? moment where, um, well, it's funny now, uh, but it probably would have been about a week later when I was able to really lift my neck and mm-hmm. I could actually see exactly what I had left on my arms and legs. They know mm. I weren't covered up. Mm. Um, and I had to mouth the words because I still had a breathing tube in my okay. uh, throat. I mouthed the words, no arms, no legs, mm. at which point Diane started basically you know, consulted with the nurse afterwards, they thought that I basically was having memory problems and couldn't remember what I had been told. Um, and so they really got a little bit concerned about my state of mind. Okay. Um, but what I was really saying was, okay, when you said no arms, no legs, you really mean no, nothing, nothing <laughs> left at lying. all. You weren't there really is yeah, nothing. Yeah, there's really nothing left. So, wow. um, so I think that was, uh, that was really uh, the first moment when I really grasped mm. the... Uh, extent of what had been removed. So you went from very healthy person. You, you told me how you used to cycle into the office. You used to cycle to work a lot yes. and enjoy being quite active and fit and healthy and, and um, did a lot of the renovations on the house in which you're in now and a lot of work. So very, very hands-on, very, very active. 
to go from from that in well, not a very long period of time at all, to then lying in the hospital bed with no arms and no legs. Yes. Um, again, I couldn't imagine what what that would be like. Well, neither could I. Mm. And so I think um, I think you don't know what you can do until you do it. Sometimes, uh, I think um, if you'd asked Diane and I if we could face something like this before it happened, it would be well, no. Mm. Um, but I think most people should recognise that there is an inner strength within all of us that mm. you don't really know how deep it is until you have to face something. Mm fairly significant, you know, and it could be anything, you know, um, and, you know, mine's been fairly extreme in one area, but, you know, other people face similar things in other areas as well. I remember reading your book on the plane and I was sitting between two complete strangers just jammed in there and I was reading the part in the book about um, when Diane was told that you had 1% chance to survive, even if your limbs were amputated, you only yes. had 1% chance of survival. And Di said, because of who you are, let's do it. Yes. But, and, and your whole family was there and, and they spoke again, because it, it's you, that they had the belief and the hope that you would have what it takes, even with 1% to pull through. I'm glad what, they made that call. <laughs> I bet so. you are. What's that mean for you to know that they backed you? Well, there's probably a couple of things in that. One is that Diane and I have been together since we were 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got married when we were 22, had kids when we were 30. And I was very fortunate to find my soulmate very early. And the knowledge that she knows me so well and would know what I want mm-hmm. gave me great um, comfort, but it also it's meant that I not once have ever questioned her decision because I know that she would have my best interests at heart. Mm. So, so I'm really very fortunate to be in that position um, with our relationship. And I think the other thing is again to recognise that the decision she was making wasn't just for me; mm-hmm. it was also for her mm-hmm. and the family. Accepting the fact that you know life was going to be very different. You know, um, her role was going to change, you know, the kids um, and everyone, you know, it was going to change for everybody mm. uh, and not flinching to make that decision um, was a very selfless um, act on a number of people's part as well, I think. So you, you've woken up in the hospital and you're saying you're mouthing no arms, no legs. Yeah. What comes next? Uh, well, during that time in intensive care, it's, uh, I was there for 55 days. Um, the, quite, the nurses were quite, uh, they were phenomenal. Uh, and the, the entire healthcare, um, professionals there were great at supporting me. Mm-hmm. It's a time where things are changing very significantly and very quickly. Um, and it's really about survival. So I wasn't really thinking very far ahead. You know, okay. I remember thinking that Kids bring in these videos of, um, you probably know Nick Vujicic. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no arms, no legs, no worries. He's yep. a, um, so in the intensive care, um, the kids would watch YouTube videos of him mm. kind of jumping in pools and mm-hmm. playing golf and they'd bring them in and show me and I couldn't really process that stuff, you know. Um, they were thinking a lot longer ahead than I was. I wasn't okay. ready for that. Mm. Uh, and for me... Um, I ended up setting 24-hour goals um, mm. because anything more than that was just too tough. 
Um, and, you know, that really helped me uh, learn how to do lots of things. You know, I looked around and looked at my attachments to my body um, and tried to work out which ones I could get rid of because mm-hmm. I realised I wasn't going to go home unless I got, <laughs> got you off You can't bring all, all that the, uh, with you, no. Yeah, yeah, so I can't. Uh, so, you know, I was on dialysis, so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't will my kidneys to work. So I worked around and realised that my breathing was something that I could get off the breathing tube. So mm. I... I worked out how to do that with uh, listening to the doctors and nurses. And, okay. Uh, and so that was one of the tasks that I kind of focused on, just, you know, 24 hours a day, what's my goal? Am I going to get better? How are my lungs going to get, getting, uh, get better? And that's one of the most excruciating things that I've ever done, you know, feeling like you're drowning, you know, mm. liquid in your lungs, um, basically having to suck that out of my lungs. So it was very painful. So oh, wow. uh, that... That really meant that, you know, 24-hour goals were great for me when mm. things are really tough. Even now when things are tough, I don't necessarily worry about much other than the next 24 hours. That is very pragmatic, isn't it? Very uh, structured. Very I think it's also for me about, um, uh, you know, being realistic. You mm-hmm. know? Um, there wasn't much point in me worrying about playing golf if I didn't know how to breathe. So Very true. So the kids are there watching the video of Nick diving into a pool. Yeah. And you're here going, Hey, I can't do that yet. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um so that was a really uh busy time, you know, yeah. learning how to breathe again. I have to do that. Learning mm. how to uh talk again. Um and you know I had a speech impediment for a fair while mm-hmm. as well. Um learning how to swallow, learning how to eat. So they were all things that I had to work on. So, so really, that was a very I, I immersed myself in those things that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Probably a very selfish time, you know. I just had to focus on all my efforts on just doing those basic things to start with. I think you'd be forgiven for that selfish <laughs> time, as you called it. Yeah. Um, but what, what or who provided you with that strength? Where did that strength, that drive, that focus? in the hospital to go, I need to be able to breathe first for 24 hours and push through that incredible pain. Where yeah. did that strength and drive come from? Um, at first I just started doing the goal thing. You know, I set a goal and I tried to go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tended – well, I remember one particular day and it was with breathing. I got to about 22 hours of uh, breathing when I needed to get to 24 to get to the next stage of getting off the breathing tube. Mm-hmm. And after pushing myself and feeling an ordinate amount of pain, I got to about 22 hours and just like collapsed and just went, no, I can't do this, stick me back on the oxygen. And, mm. um, and you know, all those little voices in my head sort of, you know, oh, you didn't try hard enough or mm-hmm. – um, so I quietened those down and I basically – I went to sleep that day um, and then I woke up the next morning and I thought, well, what was all that about? Uh and I realised that I was, I was trying to go for goals, but I didn't really know. I really hadn't worked out why. Um, okay. Why am I trying to go for this goal? So uh, I said, keep asking myself why, which I think is a fantastic way of getting mm, to, mm. okay, well, why do I want to breathe? It's like, mm. well, I want a breathing tube out. It's like, great. Why do I want the breathing tube out? Well, I could communicate and be part of the family. It's like, well, okay, well, why do I want to do that? Well, mm. you know, I just want to get – it ended up being I just wanted to get home and be part of the family again. And so once I actually found that, that was really my motivation for that first phase. You know, I just want to get home. I want to be back with my family again. And that 
every time something got a little bit tough, mm-hmm. I went there, you know, and the next day when I did that breathing challenge, when it got tough, mm-hmm. I went there and that helped me go further than I had before. So, yeah. um, you know, and that's what helped me, you know, get through all those breathing, eating, following, walking. Every time it got difficult, it's that need to be home and with my family again that was driving me at the start. Mm. So every time, again, as you're saying, when something got incredibly challenging, difficult, painful, yep. you'd remind yourself it's not just about this breathing right now. It's not just about this eating. It's, it's about getting home. And the thing that I've read, you know, and I've learned this many times over, I just forgotten at that particular point, <laughs> you know, it's, it's never about the goal. Mm. You know, it's, you know, when you ask yourself, it's a goal is always just a point in time to get you to somewhere else. Okay. Where are you at? Where are you actually going? What is actually driving you? What is that why? You know, finding that why I think is a really important everything that you do. Why are you doing it? Mm. Nice one. So not just the deeper than the goal of getting home. Yes. But the why of getting home. Yes. Is what drove you to be back with your family, to be back in the comfort and the security of the family and um, and to be there for them as well. Yeah. Is what kept you going. It was. So after coming out of ICU. Yes. Talking about that next stage. So um, I remember you telling me stories about um, during rehabilitation and, and learning to talk and learning to walk and move around on your own again. What was yes. that like? You know, there are a lot of things we tried that didn't work, mm-hmm. um, but we just kept going from first principles, you know, trying to work things out and, uh, you know, like trying to, I remember trying to roll over for the first time. Um, I remember, you know, it probably took me a week or two to try and work out how to actually get enough momentum um, and to actually flip my body over. And I was so ecstatic. And here I was with my um, cheek squished into the, um, into the bed where I'd flipped over on. <laughs> and as, as my smile kind of uh, sort of um, abated, all of a sudden I realised I had no idea how to get back. So here I was stuck on, my, uh, stuck on my cheek, not really, you know, squashed into the bed and I couldn't work out what to do next. So, so anyway, from there, um, you know, it, uh, we just had to keep learning different ways of doing things. Mm. Um, and, you know, that continues to, that, to the day, day and I think it will always continue about... Trying to find different ways of doing things because um, you know, there's, yeah, when I try and go do something, there's, you can really tell me how to do it. I mean, the fantastic thing about um, social media and mm-hmm. international connections these days, you know, I've found a couple of people around the world, or there's probably one person in the world I've found who's a little bit like me, mm-hmm. um, uh, who can we can kind of share ideas on, um, but she's probably not as advanced in her rehabilitation as I am okay. so um so yeah it's uh, hopefully we can find some more people mm. together but you know like those videos of, of Nick that I was telling you about mm. um we returned to those and that was what helped me learn how to flip over okay so you know I was ready at that point watch to, him in slow motion step yep, by watch step him in slow motion do? and the physio look watching the same video really? in slow motion and then basically saying yes do this but do not do what Nick is doing in this area because your neck Will okay. be shattered okay. within a wow. couple of years. You know, obviously Nick's grown up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he was born that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. Fortunately, I'm a little bit 
middle-aged and not as fit. So um, about 10 years older than Nick, I think, as well. So um, so that was, you know, good to get that kind of advice as well. When when been approached by these massive goals and tasks and outcomes like learning to move yourself around, yep. um, learning to eat and, and breathe properly again, um, for a lot of people, myself included, it can become really quite overwhelming. Yes. And you look at the big picture without taking time to – come back to what's step number one. And I think you were doing that really quite well through what you've been saying. I think you have quite a knack of going, here's the big picture goal. Yes. Now let's reverse engineer this. Break, break it down. First step. Did yep. you find that process really helpful? Uh, I do. I mean, naturally, I mean, I've been an engineer, trained as an engineer, mm. and I've been a project manager most of my career as well. So mm. you know, I think having those skills really did help me through this because the medical profession are terrible at project management. They're very good at looking after people. Mm. Um, mm. But so I've ended up basically being a project manager of my own rehabilitation okay. as well. So you know, working out where I can get help, who can who can talk to who, how do we collaborate? Um, and as you said, how do you break it down into um, smaller manageable tasks? Mm. Which ones first and which ones do you focus on? Mm. Um, and which ones are priorities, you know? So even... Even to this day, you know, I've got quite a number of things going on to try and help me do what I want to do. Um, but what do I prioritise? Because there's lots of things to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's not only with rehabilitation, but that's, you know, picking up the kids, helping with homework, um, you know, doing some of the work that I do. So how do I balance all of it now, which is, has become a different type of um, uh, process now, but mm. same approach. Okay. So that... Breaking it down was really quite helpful for you and going step by step. I think critical because I think if I, uh, if I looked at the whole task, it would have been ridiculously overwhelming mm-hmm. um, and mentally I don't think I would have been able to cope. Mm-hmm. By biting off those smaller chunks that um, I could, then you know, I could focus on what I could do um, and, I, it, and they were generally achievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are lots of tasks that I've set myself that I haven't, you know, got there and then I have to have the mental process of how do I cope with that. Okay. Um, and then I might then add in something else to do mm. if I'm dealing with something that I haven't been able to do. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think that's the other thing is that giving lots of things a go, lots of things don't work. I think you had a podcast on failure and mm-hmm. um, I've had lots of those. Okay. Uh, and Thanks for listening, by the way. That's Thank okay. <laughs> So I think that's uh, really uh, – it was really critical to find out, you know, particularly when there's no no idea of how to mm, do it. Mm. If you don't give things a go and fail, you're never going to find the way that does work. Oh, absolutely. So the idea of failing quickly. Yes. And then learning from that so that you can – And fail safely as well for mm, me. Mm. You know, like I remember I wanted a bit of uh, cardio work. It's very difficult without, you know, leg muscles to get your heart rate up. Mm-hmm. So I uh, wanted to jump on the trampoline um, in the rehab. So after much uh, sideways looks and people being concerned. Um, <laughs> people think, are you sure, Matthew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So anyway, but I, I put a crash cap on my head. Okay. Knowing that, you know what, chances are I'm going to fall over here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we had padding around and I had a crash mm-hmm. cap on, you know, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, I mucked it up and came off the trampoline and... But I was safe, you know, nice. and I think that's the other thing is that when you 
when you're going to fail rapidly or often, mm. you know, fail, fail safely as mm, well. Absolutely. Now, you spoke before about overwhelm. Yes. And without having those small wins along the way and, again, the quick safe failures but then learning from that moving on, yes. without those um, milestones along the way, it can become quite overwhelming. Now, I could imagine that um, a lot of people in a similar situation who um, are overcome with massive sudden adversity could become and, and could be quite forgiven for becoming quite negative, yes. uh, very disheartened and quite angry um, and almost wanting to give up in a way, but you didn't. Or, or were there moments when sure. it was like Look, that? there are moments where it gets just really tough mm-hmm. and, you know, I, uh, you know, I get particularly sad. You know, it's, uh, it would be particularly wrong for me to paint that this has been a journey of light and, mm. and happiness. Um, there have been extreme moments of grief. You know, I remember when I, when I first came home, it was quite busy with the kids, uh, you know, and Diane was very busy and pretty much every time we ended up alone together, mm-hmm. you know, we'd end up crying mm-hmm. um, and kind of almost said to each other, gosh, hopefully this doesn't keep going this way mm. um, because, you know, it, it's, there's, you've got to go, it's a grieving process when you lose something, you know, mm. when you lose anything in your life. Mm. Um, so it's important to recognise that it's okay to go through that, you know, um, and I think letting myself feel the emotions and um, recognise that's okay. Um, however, not letting myself being controlled and overcome by them for the, my whole existence I think is important. Wow, Dave. Mm. Um, what an interview. And, and yeah. just sitting there watching this and, and watching Matthew talk about these huge tasks yep. that are in front of him and his pragmatic approach of not, a, of not allowing himself to be overwhelmed mm. by what's just happened and mm. the news that he's heard, but instead to be able to look around the room and go, okay, how do I get off this machine and that machine? Mm. How do I achieve an ultimate goal by breaking it up into little parts? Absolutely. And, and also just the strength of the why. Yeah. Having his yeah. why of I want to get home, having that drive him and push him through all that. Yeah. And, and what you're saying about you have more strength than what you believe. Yes, I love that. Yeah, it's not until we're tested sometimes mm. that we realise just how much strength we really have. Dave, there was so much in this interview mm. uh, that we've decided to run it over two podcasts mm-hmm. just so that you at home can take away as much as possible and we can hear as much as of Matthew's messages yep. um, and, and apply them to our own circumstances. Yeah, Matthew covers so many other messages in yeah. the next episode. So here's a quick snippet of what you can expect on part two. Now, throwing a guy with no arms and legs yeah, in fast-moving yeah. water heading to the ocean, I don't know what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but because of the relate, you know, my brain exploded mm-hmm, and went, kind mm-hmm. of, this is, this is crazy. Mm. But I quieten those voices down and realized that Diane obviously sees something in me that I didn't even contemplate mm, doing mm, it myself. Mm. So, yeah, we look forward to you joining us in Mm -hmm. part two. And, look, in the meantime, 
Um, if you're really enjoying this story, and I'm sure that you are, yeah. Ma- Matthew does have a book that I'm currently reading, and it is an amazing read. It's, it's a real page turner. It's and a tearjerker, isn't it? It is. <laughs> um, yeah. And look, I'm not a big reader, and I can't seem to put it down. Yep. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's mm-hmm. called A Will to Live. Yep. Uh, and you not only hear a lot from Matthew, yeah. you also hear a huge part, and I think that this is actually so important in his story, mm. from his wife. Yeah, and Diane's story is incredibly inspiring yes. as well. And you'll hear a lot more of that in part two part of two. this podcast. Yep. And look, we had a chat about the challenge, a very long chat about the challenge well, We this couldn't week. agree on one challenge, could we, Jared? The story is just so powerful yeah. to each person I think for different reasons mm-hmm. so we decided that to allow you to pick your challenge and to create mm-hmm. your own challenge and I think that after hearing a story like this mm-hmm. you can't help but challenge yourself to do life better That's right. so for me though listening to Matt's story and reading the book that Matthew and Diane and his sister have written my challenge has definitely just been find little things in my life mm like my arms and my legs, that I am insanely grateful for. Yeah, for sure. And for me, it's remembering that you have more strength than what you believe you have. You have a lot more strength than what you'd ever believe. And particularly when you find your why and particularly when you surround yourself with excellent people, people who are there with you. And again, thank you much for joining us. By the way, please do create your own challenge yes yeah and let us know what it is we'd love to hear what you got from part one of this episode so when you're listening to it please take a a screenshot or a selfie unless you're driving (laughs) um and 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 post it somewhere and let us know what your challenge was that'd be awesome we'd love to hear about that and if you've been waiting to share this podcast with your friends your family your children your mum your dad whoever your dog yes your dog maybe this is the episode yep this one and the next one. I think that this is such a powerful story Mm, mm. that I think that everyone needs to hear it. For sure. And please remember, do hit subscribe. Do leave us a rating. If you do that, that's doing a massive favor for us. That's what helps get this podcast out to many more people just like you. So thank you again and go out there and create yourself a great day. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. You can find all the show notes on our website at www.projecthatch.com.au forward slash do life better podcast. You can connect with us on Facebook at Project Hatch and on Instagram at Project underscore Hatch. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and a comment on iTunes to help this podcast reach more listeners just like you. Now it's time to get out there and do life even better.